You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, welcome to Utabia. Stephen Chicken here alongside David Hartrick and we're feeling in somewhat more fine and fettel spirits. I don't know what fettel means, but you know, we'll go with it anyway. We can just make up words now that Huddersfield Town have claimed a 3-0 victory over Birmingham City and no one's going to mind because everyone's mood changes after a win, doesn't it, Dave? Yeah, it does, it does. And I, I, uh, Town needed that. They really, really needed that. And not only was it a 3-0 win... But they got really good performance, I thought, as well. Yeah, it was uh, an excellent performance. I mean, it was one of those where, where picking out individuals is, is a little bit tricky because it was just a good team performance all around. Um, but if we are going to name-check a couple, um, then I thought Fraser Campbell was especially good leading the line. I thought Elias Kachunga had his best game of the season. Both of those guys deserved their goals. Um and Harry Toffolo put in some, some cracking balls on the left-hand side that, that helped provide two of the goals. And, you know, Carl Grant certainly had his moments. He had some moments where things went a bit wrong, notably uh, his second penalty being saved, and then he was, looked a bit desperate to try and atone for that afterwards. But he also had, you know, excellent moments. He, his run created the first penalty, which he then scored. So no criticism of, of him, really. Um, it was just altogether was a better performance with... And funnily enough, that's what you get when you've got everyone playing in the positions that they that they prefer to play. Yeah, I that was one of the, the real key points of it. I think there was just so much more clarity. We we have to slightly temper our criticism, but one of the things we were both fairly clear on after the Wigan game was just how muddy it all was. You know, mm. four or five, everybody got a go at ten. There were, I think, three different systems tried in the first half and. There were a lot of round pegs in square holes. And then the Forest game, I think, was more about the psychology of the side, really, and mentally being a bit feeble after going a goal down, to be frank. But last night, it's that thing again of the Cowleys not having time to overthink it or, you know, overcomplicate it. Pick a team and a system that they're comfortable with. I think we would have both picked that team, including Kachunga, to give De Haney that little bit of mm. cover on that side, uh, which he quite clearly needed just while he finds his first team legs longer term. And it was just all so much more, yeah, it was just a lot more clarity. You know, set the press that five, ten yards further up the field push everybody a little bit higher, get ESR closer to the, the three attacking players. And it all sounds so simple. <laughs> but, you know, we know football's a lot more complicated than that, but it really was a case of just doing the simple things well, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, and Danny Cowley afterwards had a bit of a chuckle, as he said, you know, you don't want to over 
you don't want to overdo it complaining about not having had a number nine the last couple of games but now that he's actually got both of them back he can he can acknowledge that he felt he was on a bit of a hide into nothing with that so um yeah I mean we, we knew that this performance was in them and Birmingham are exactly the kind of team that I think we might have touched on in the last podcast um those mid-table sides who who don't really have anything to play for are, mm. are, are, are losing quite a lot of games that that maybe earlier in the season you would have expected them to uh to you know at least push for a draw but we knew that that town would be able to get at birmingham um with no disrespect but if hull city could put three past them then certainly huddersfield town can and i think we know that huddersfield town can can defend a little bit better than hull as well i mean we should mention the defense um we we gave christopher schindler a bit of criticism and i think i think rightly so after the uh, after the forest game but he was miles better here. He, he he looked back to his old best, and and Richard Stearman alongside him. Uh, I, and I put this in the play ratings, and I, I don't know if I've had a bit of stick for it or not. Um, I tend not to read the comments, but uh, I just put for Richard Stearman. I didn't even notice him, and that's a good thing for a centre back. So, yeah, it was just just a, a very solid performance, and and you know Jonathan Hogg and Lewis O'Brien did what they do in the middle. I know that that there's some games where where you and I might feel like Jonathan Hogg uh, might be a bit too much of a conservative option, but actually against this Birmingham midfield um, with Crowley and Bellingham, it was it was the right choice. So yeah, altogether all there's there's a lot of positives and and you know a, a win changes everything. It really really does. Town are now yeah. back outside the relegation zone. Wigan uh, it it came out earlier in the day are looking at getting a points deduction so you know they're, they're going to be plunged back into the relegation zone it's as if you knew something about them all along Dave yeah I mean as long as town are within 12 points of them they're definitely going to finish below them one way or another yeah. Um, yeah. so that's obviously a boost to town's survival and I, I feel a little bit for Wigan but at the same time this is a Huddersfield Town podcast and they have to yeah. take the results where they get them but I think like Bellingham is obviously one of the next big things in English football, but he looks a young man whose mind is elsewhere at the moment, probably wondering whether he goes to Germany or Manchester in the summer. And I think Town just caught a Birmingham side who, not that didn't want to be there, but just who didn't want to play a side who wanted to press them and who were really, really up for this game, which is what Town were. And I do I do think part of that, to just come back to that point, is again keeping things simple for them. Um, you know, players knowing what their roles are and knowing what they've got to do. And setting that press just a little bit higher up the pitch, further up the pitch, I think does wonders as well because it allows Schindler and Stearman to a little bit of breathing space without constantly getting drawn deeper and deeper or like in the Forest game worrying about a striker who who all he wants to do is get in behind them. You know, he just wants to turn and get in behind them. So it just all worked. And like all credit to the players on the pitch and to the Cowley brothers for, for getting it right, really. And even when Birmingham had that little rally before half-time, I thought Town contained them really, really well. And you're right, Schindler was excellent again on the night. And it's that thing again about if Christopher Schindler plays well, Town tend to play well, you know. If he's if he's in a bad run, Town tend to be in a bad run. So hopefully that can continue now for the rest of the season.
My suspicion would be that they probably have maybe one or two more of their bad performances left in them, uh, but they probably also have yeah. one or two more of these types of performances and then maybe a couple that are somewhere in between and, and that would get them over the line. Um, I think neither of us before this midweek were particularly... Um, hopeful about that Preston game but I mean Preston's form has, has been poor before yeah, the break I mean, I, and terrible I after watched the break. most of that Preston game last night and they I think I, they're going to come they're going to be physical they're going to try and upset I mean a lot of their game plan let's be honest is going to revolve around trying to bully Towns two centre-backs mm. um, they have more to their game than that don't get me wrong but that after what happened at Preston that is what <laughs> A lot of it is going to come down to. Last night, they looked like a side slightly going through the motions. They'd made five changes. And I think they were trying to hold something back for this game because I, I'm not sure. I, I think Derby were... Derby have turned out to be pretty strong opponents all in this season, despite that. I mean, it shows how mad the championship is that Derby went through that horrendous wobble and first half of the season, really, really patchy. And now they've got like I say, second only to Leeds is the strongest record at home and they're they're well well up there by right. So I don't really know what to expect from Preston, but I suspect if Town could go ahead, if Town could go one up, I suspect they might end up winning that game because Preston look a bit mentally done in to me. Um, we'll see, we'll see. But certainly there was a moment where we both felt it was unwinnable. Yeah, <laughs> And definitely. now it, it feels like... I mean, it feels very winnable, but it also feels like a draw would be absolutely fine, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's again, that's why a point makes, uh, sorry, three points makes all the difference because I think if these, if those results had been the other way round, if they'd drawn against Birmingham, but then you know they'd got the win on on Saturday, I think those three days um, or these two days, <laughs> Thursday and Friday between the Birmingham game and the Preston game, people would be absolutely flipping their lids, uh, fan wise, and you can understand okay. that. Yeah, it would. It would be toxic but just the the fact that they got this win against Birmingham means that they they have that little bit of breathing space I mean that they're with before Hull have played Middlesbrough they're four points from the drop so they could well be uh, sorry three points from the drop so they could well still be three points clear with a a better goal difference uh, depending on how Middlesbrough get on against Hull so yeah it just makes a a big difference and, and a point would would probably well would be pretty respectable um against Preston um, but as I say, as we've touched on, they are a team that Town struggled against earlier this season. Uh, they they were the team that that snapped the the, the unbeaten run, um, as well as snapping Tommy Elphick's knee in two places, unfortunately. Um, so, but they're also six games without a win. So yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. But it's uh, it's nowhere near as bleak as it as it would have felt um, a couple of days ago, which is a positive because I think I think. I think town fans desperately needed that. Things were getting very, very, very edgy, weren't they? Yeah, understandably so. I mean, like, I, I'm trying not to sound cocky, but I've maintained in various WhatsApp groups that you're also in, Steve, that they'll be absolutely fine. At, mm. Because I've always believed that the Cowley, there comes a moment where the Cowley brothers would get more from them. And if they can, I mean, if they, can, if they could get a draw Saturday... And then a win out of their next three games. Mm. I, I honestly think it might well be done. I think this weekend was a massive outlier in that 
town losing and everybody else picking up points, mostly three points in most cases, that won't happen again. There are a lot of six-pointers ahead for those teams. There, There is an awful lot of games amongst them. So, you know, it, statistically it can't happen. But secondly, I just don't think there's going to be a moment where three teams around town all win and town lose. It was just a slight anom- uh, anomaly. Um but Easy for you to say. I, I think <laughs> I think Town are they needed that performance, and I think what they will do on Saturday is I think they'll probably pick exactly the same starting eleven, mm. and I think they'll probably start with exactly the same game plan, and I think they'll also know what happened earlier in the season, and I think they will set their stall out not to get bullied through that game by Preston, which was, was what happened defensively and in midfield, really. Um, I think there'll be one or two scores to settle, and who knows? If Preston win, that's n- it's not a disaster. It's not a disaster. Preston are, you know, they're a good physical tough side, but yeah, I'm, I'm far more hopeful of town getting something. But I think just going back to last night as well, Steve, it's worthwhile noting that he got his number nines back and obviously Fraser Campbell gets his goal and it was it was a good finish it was one of them where just get something on it anything you can on it because it was such a good ball in such a brilliant delivery in that as a striker that's all you have to do just try and get something on it but then the third goal obviously Munio peels away to the back post and that's a great header back across goal and to be perfectly honest with you, that's what I wish Steve Mounier did a bit more of. Yeah. That's what you know. I think he could be really, really good at, and it's a, a, it'll please the Cowley brothers that as well because I'm sure that's something they work on. You know that that movement, appealing away, the nod back across, and either of the wide men coming inside, depending which side it is, to to be there for the tap in or the header or what you know, as it lands. So very pleasing sort of performance from both strikers really yeah I think we know that it's something they work on that they've they've talked before about they want to get more out of set pieces which has been a major major weakness of Huddersfield Town this season if they had anything if they had even an average set piece record at either end of the field there's no way they'd be in this relegation battle because they'd have just picked up that many more points Um, and it it really does make a massive difference. I noticed that Nicky Cowley and Mark Hudson had a bit of a, a laugh and a bit of a celebration together after that that set piece went in, um, and rightly so because I think those those are the two. I mean, we know that that Mark Hudson was working on the set pieces under Jan at pre-season, and we know that Nicky Cowley loves them as well. So I imagine those two between them have come up with a bit of a playbook. Um, it, the other thing that's yeah. sort of notable, I think, looking at the stats is just you know Town dominated the possession against against Wigan and they dominated the possession against Forest and it didn't get them anywhere and they go into this Birmingham game and they have 39% possession and are by far the better team and come out with a dominant win and and I think that goes back to what yeah. you were saying earlier about doing the basics right um, and we've said before on this podcast sometimes the best way to beat Huddersfield Town is to let them have the ball um, but they've shown mm-hmm. that, that they can be a, a good not even necessarily a counter-attacking team but just a, a team that that can, on their day, do the fundamentals so well that they don't need to have that much of the ball to, to get goals. And I think it's especially pleasing that, that all of the starting front three got on the score sheet as well, particularly Campbell and Kachunga, who, you know, both of them got their third goals of the season, which... You know, for all that for all they bring to the team off the ball, we've we've said repeatedly on here that 
that that hasn't been good enough and I, I can't remember if I said it on a podcast or if I just said it to someone offline, but I kind of fancied Fraser Campbell go after this break to go and and actually at least double his score tally um, in the last yeah. sort of nine games of the season. We're halfway there now. So, yeah, I mean, th- there's definitely if positives. You, I, I think just look at throwing forward a little bit. If, if Fraser Campbell is there next season and Town want to be, as a minimum, a sort of comfortable mid-table team, then I think Fraser Campbell will know that his goal tally has got to be double figures as a minimum. If he gets 10 or 12 goals, that's absolutely fine. But he has to get 10 or 12 goals because there's been uh, there's been games where he's slightly driven us to distraction um, because he's not that he's missed chances, but he's it, he's had more fouls than shots on goal by almost double, <laughs> and. Last night was a sort of a great example of what he can do if he's given the service, but also if he's got a team whose natural inclination is to win the ball and go forward. Too many times this season, Town have won the ball in defensive areas and the sideways pass has been the option time and time again. And it was notable um, from all four defenders and both midfielders that the option last night was to get your head up and look forward, try and pick... Smith throw out or try and hit space on the wings for either winger to, to get into and get on the end of and that's how town need to be you know possession is it, it, sterile possession is absolutely pointless it's the absolute yeah. enemy of good football and that's where town have been for a chunk of the season as we both know Steve you know we've watched town have so much of the ball sometimes and just not do anything with it at all um, that it just drives you to absolute madness. Whereas last night, there was just so much more purpose. It was every time they got the ball, you felt there was a plan, you felt there was a motivation, you felt there was a bit of adrenaline. And that's what they need. You know, that adrenaline is the thing they lack through most of the first half of the season. So long may it continue. And it's attacking players that really feel the benefit of that. You know, it's no surprise to me that the three attacking players score and it's no surprise to me that Town looked dangerous you know they missed another penalty it could have been feasibly this game could have been five or six nil you know and it wouldn't have necessarily been a massive disgrace if it had been to be honest Harley Dean should have been sent off as well because he drives me mad that man (laughs) but that's another story yeah I mean I actually feel like the, the reason I felt like Fraser Campbell might be able to, to thrive in, in the behind-closed-doors games is just because he's got that energy and that self-motivation. Um, I actually spoke to him about a bit about this and and how in, without a crowd there, the players need to get themselves up and there's an opportunity for the teams that are able to do that because we've seen uh, in every league, like Bundesliga, Premier League, Championship, that's played behind closed doors, that, that quite often the first half, it'll have you know six shots between the two teams and nothing will happen so if you've got a team that's capable of amping themselves up um, and getting themselves you know almost acting as the crowd for themselves and getting the adrenaline going then there's an opportunity for those sides to, to do well and I think mm. Fraser Campbell is, is a big big player um, on, on that front because he's the player that, that quite often gets the crowd going uh, when he's playing at his best at, at the John Smiths and so he'll be one of the key players in getting the rest of the team going now that he's back so yeah pleasing to see um, 
but yeah, it's uh, it's it's just looking better. I mean, notably uh, being at the game, I can tell you the players were talking to each other a hell of a lot more. It's a criticism that you noted against mm. Wigan was everyone was so quiet, and I know that Phil Hodgkinson said the same thing. But you know they were constantly talking against Birmingham that everyone had. You know, but without everyone sort of shouting all at once and contradicting each other, you know, they were just everyone yeah. was there was it was it was what it should have been really. I think one of the things that Wigan that I I sort of noted to you in private was that they just weren't used to or set up for the conditions. So there was an instance where Danny Cowley had a go at one of the players, and I think he hadn't realised literally until that moment when you do that every single person in the ground hears and mm. the Wigan players were laughing at the player involved and he just shrank, he just went into his shell. Now I don't think it's bad management or anything like that. I think it's just one of those factors that you just you wouldn't even consider until you're actually in the live game situation. And town were really quiet. They were they struggled with it. They struggled with the echoes, you know, they struggled with the, the actual noise of the game. So I think three games in to hear that they've got used to that. And I thought, I actually thought Danny Cowley, I mean, it's difficult when you're on TV, but I thought Danny and Nicky were just slightly calmer. They were still, you know, prowling around the technical area and I don't think either of them touched a seat for 90 minutes, but just not quite as, uh, you know, the constant bombardment of instructions and yeah. et cetera. And again, these are the things that I don't think teams and managers have realised until they've played a few games behind closed doors. I think what you, you've done a couple of games now behind closed doors, and I have too, Stephen. I think what people don't realise is that when there's, when there's 20,000 fans in a stadium and something goes wrong and there's a groan from the crowd, you can almost sort of shake it off. Whereas weirdly, when the stadium's empty and there's less people in there, it almost feels like there's nowhere to hide. It actually feels like every mistake is slightly more amplified, which I know sounds back to front, but is is genuinely when you're in there, is genuinely how it feels. So I think getting used to that will, will benefit the players enormously. I'm interested to see how they do Saturday because obviously the last home game was a disaster and it is the home situation that is going to feel the weirdest and the strangest so I'm hoping they've sort of adjusted accordingly now we'll we'll see I don't know I mean all we can do is just cross our fingers really and wait for kickoff yeah I think you're right I mean Danny Kelly did say that that he was used to playing in front of not many people because when he took over at at Concord they had 67 people in the crowd for his first game but on the other hand he has also acknowledged that that previous clubs he's been at the players um psychology has all been quite uniform so it's it's easier to if you give one message out everyone responds to it whereas at town it's a little bit more everyone's got their own personality and their own different motivations so i think it makes as you say probably makes it that much harder to to um work out when to when to you know shout an instruction at someone and when to just sort of leave them to it and see if they figure it out for themselves but there we go Since we last recorded, it's been announced that Jon Gorik Stankovic is going to be leaving the club at the end of the season. He's got a deal with Sturm Graz. 
Um, what what were your thoughts on that? <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, you know my thoughts on this. I, it's not that I think he's a bad player. I think he's an excellent player, and I think he'll go on to have a very decent career. But he's he just didn't fit in that squad. Um, if you he, he's a bit lightweight and he's a bit quiet. So if you put him in with Schindler, there's the tendency for one or the other to get bullied quite badly in the game. And there's not enough leadership coming through. If you're playing with Stearman, then one or the other has got to play not on their natural side. And that mm. makes a big difference to your to your balance and particularly your distribution out of defence. So that's not ideal. And if you're playing with Elphick, you've got the same problem as if you're playing with Stearman. So he, he never quite fit. He's had some good games for town. He's had some good games for town this season. But he's also had games where he has struggled. Um, he often, he, he drives me slightly mad in that when he comes on as a sub, I sometimes feel like he, it's almost like he's not been watching the game because if you watch him for the first couple of minutes, it's often if a sort of striker goes through him, it's often like a complete surprise to him. He acts like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. But I guess that is a symptom of a player who's not playing 30, 35 games a season more than anything else. But I suspect there's a really good footballer in there, but I think part of the issue with Stankovic is that he was David Wagner's great hope. You know, he was the player that Wagner said was going to be the all-conquering, the, the player he desperately wanted to sign and all this sort of thing. And he's just never quite looked like that player. Mm. And realistically, I think Town have got Romari Edmonds-Green, who everybody who listens to this podcast know I think is a, is a really terrific young prospect. He's been out to Swindon where he's done really, really well. I mean, did he win two Player of the Months there? I know he won and at they, least one, they yeah. absolutely, And they, they loved him, absolutely loved him. And I think next season, he's he's got a factor. He's got to be third choice. You know, much as I love him, Tommy Elphick, he's coming back from injury and he is very much the wrong side of 30. So I think Romari Edmund-Green really needs to be third choice. I think John Stankovic could have feasibly been third or fourth choice next season, but he would have been very expensive wage-wise for that role. And as you pointed out, Steve, he's already been vocal in when he was annoyed he wasn't getting opportunities. Um, do you want an unhappy player in that role? No, you don't. I just think sometimes a deal makes sense. And the best soundbite I've heard on this, Steve, was from you when you quite rightly pointed out that any player that leaves your club on a free suddenly becomes 20% better. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what's happening with, with John Stankovic. Not that he's a bad player by any stretch, but it's not an absence that's really going to impact on this squad massively. It's not a great big hole to fill because it's it's already filled. Yeah. <laughs> so it is what it is. I thought it was poor that Gratz announced first. Yeah, I did think that was poor, and I I think you you have a little bit of knowledge on that 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 was nothing to do with town, was it? No, I mean the the done thing, and I can tell you, having been a press officer for you know uh, Doncaster Bells, even you know even for them uh, a semi pro and then later amateur club, would if there's any kind of transfer announcement, you you coordinate between the two clubs and you put up an embargo on it and you agree what time you're going to release it, and that is the done thing across football. Um, but there are 
certain clubs, especially sort of German and Austrian clubs, will um, you know sometimes give the club sort of ten minutes notice that they're going to announce it, which isn't helpful to anyone because the reason you do that is so that you can have a press release, you can arrange for the manager to provide a quote on the deal and things like that. So if the team that's buying jumps the gun then it looks like the the selling club doesn't know anything about it which is is absolutely not the case it's just a case of getting giving everyone time to get their press release together and when the when a team uh jumps the gun on it it, it means that they're robbed of that opportunity to to get their ducks in a row so i i suspect strongly that that was uh that was what happened here and and i agree with you i think it's just a matter of bad timing for for yon he's a good player he will be a, a better player um but i think the timing of his injury that he had a couple of years ago and yeah. just yeah. and and the fact that he that town went to the premier league sort of unexpectedly not long after they signed him meant he he, he couldn't really get opportunities there and then they've come back down and, and he's got a run but then they've decided you know what we need someone who isn't going to get bullied like he did against stoke so i, I think it's as you say and then and then just as it you know is what look he should be the next car off the you know, off the runway or whatever the phrase is, he's you've got another mm. young player who's got a lot more upside, who's come through the academy, who's you know uh, probably going to yeah. be a bit happier uh, to sit on the, the bench the, for a season. Yeah, the, the thing about Edmund Green is uh, Matt from the other podcast. He told us off for not mentioning it by name, actually, didn't he? So Andy takes that chance. Was, <laughs> is semi-convinced they'll turn him into a right-back. I I don't think they will. I think having seen a bit of him at centre-back, he really... I, I've, done a, I've done a lot of work um, looking at and evaluating young footballers and um, with defenders, it's less about what they do on the ball and more about what they do off the ball at a young age. It's whether they've got that natural instinct to sense danger and get in position... Because young defenders make mistakes, they've got to learn their craft. That's just the way it is. But if they get themselves in the right positions and if they instinctively go into the right areas, then you know they've they've got a real chance of making it. And Edmunds Green, I can tell you now, absolutely does that. And he's he's got good pace, he's got good strength, and I just think he's a, a safer all-round bet than Stankovic. The, the one thing I did want to ask you, and I think it's worth discussing, is did he ever get a run at what I think might be his best position? Because Jan, uh... I think he could be a defensive midfielder, yeah. I, I the way the way he plays as a centre back, I know he played as a defensive midfielder a couple of times in the Premier League. I think he did it famously against Man City, didn't he? That's right. Yeah. Um but but uh, he just I, I sometimes feel like he is more comfortable, sort of ten yards higher up the pitch. He's never gonna be a Jonathan Hogg you know, bite your legs type defensive midfielder. But I do wonder if he might be more suited eventually becoming a bit of the old sort of quarterback, yeah. you know, that take the ball off the defence and immediately play that 20-yard pass to just try and get everybody on the front foot. I don't know, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, it's not a role I've seen him play a huge amount, to be perfectly honest. But um, yeah, he certainly had a few games there. I, I think probably... There is logic in that because it just, as you, as we talked about, he, he sometimes seems a bit nice to play at centre half, so it might take a bit mm. of that that pressure off him and means that if he does get you know caught in the air, then then maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. And he certainly has the capability on the ball uh, to to play that role. So yeah, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. I mean, he's still young enough to adapt as well. I mean, he's only twenty four, mm. and uh, so you know he's he's got a long career ahead of him. That's the thing is. 
he is really good on the ball. Mm. And I just wonder if if a side who are um whose defence can feed him a little more if he was to play sort of ten yards in front of him, I just wonder if that might be where this, put it this way, I wouldn't be surprised if he had at some point in his career a very good season or two as a defensive midfielder mm. and then some town, town fans come back and say we never played him at his best position or what have you but um, yeah I just it, it's I just don't think it's a massive loss um, some, some town fans I saw on Twitter were up in arms about it, but that's Twitter. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a good player and a, a a really good lad. But yeah, I mean that they'll they'll manage, and it's a time when they need to trim their wage bill. So if you've got a player who who wants to go and is happy to go and wants to go and get first team football, then who who wasn't going to get into the first team in the first eleven uh, anytime soon, then I, I think it probably suits everyone. It's also worth, I think, Steve, just a couple of people I saw talking about contracts, etc. He would have realistically been third or fourth choice centre-back. And I think you can confirm if Townhead had took the option to offer him a contract, they have to give him a pay rise, don't they? Yeah, it it doesn't have to be huge, but my understanding of these these one-year extension deals and things like that is that, that... to stay on the right side of Cass about the legality of them, they do have to include things like a, a, a pay rise. So, yeah. So he would have been an incredibly expensive option to sit on the bench, wouldn't he, realistically? Probably, possibly in the current climate, yeah, when you've got a young player who's who's happier to sit on the bench, who's yeah. got probably more upside. Uh, yeah, it just makes sense for everyone. Another thing that I think a few fans were up in arms about, um, which was an interview that, that Mark Devlin gave on the club's YouTube channel. I watched it and I, to be honest, this isn't something I've spoken to anyone at the club about and I'm kind of uh, a little bit reluctant because I know that, that we quite often defend the club's position on this on this podcast and um, I know that that might come across the wrong way sometimes, but I genuinely thought that that, that interview was, was completely blandly inoffensive but the thing that everyone seems to have picked mm-hmm. up on everyone seems to think that that they're they're saying that they want to you know be a well-run club as a long-term goal means that they're not already working towards that um but i just th- that is not how um how objectives work when you're setting objectives in business uh, my previous job that i had before i came to the examiner i was involved in in things like that for uh, for a software company and, and setting goals and setting objectives and long-term objective does not mean we do the short-term stuff first and then we move on to the long term it means we're working on it now but the the how we're going to measure whether it's been successful is can't be done in the short term it has to be done over the long term um, and and will con- and having that long term objective means it's easier to set short term objectives that help get you to that long term objective. So I just wanted to to sort of address that a little bit as well. Did did you watch the interview at all? I did, and I I, I mean I get why some fan. The, the problem is he's the the best people who do his role in football. You you don't know who they are mm. because they they rarely they just quietly and efficiently go about their job. One of the reasons he's had to give that interview and he's had to be a little bit more visible is obviously you've lost Sean Jarvis, who was extremely comfortable being uh, a public face of the club. 
you know, on social media, etc. Phil um, had a Saturday night being the public face of the club um, and people will have their opinions on that. I think after the last week or so, there's been one or two things that probably needed an interview like that. But the rea- I think the other side to this is the reality is that that... <laughs> It's something we've talked about in private, Steve. It's it's the business speak of it all doesn't sit particularly well with football fans because mm. what they're interested in is results and signings and things they can cheer about. And, you know, you can't cheer about a balance sheet, can you? You can't no. cheer about an efficient organisational structure. <laughs> it's not no one's chanting about that, are they? So I get why <laughs> some of the some of the sort of chat rubbed one or two people up the wrong way because it's it's that sort of misunderstanding of why aren't we just doing this anyway but i i think ultimately it all comes down to the same thing steve which is over the last 12 months this is a football club where the staff turnover has been absolutely massive off the pitch and in massive roles we're not talking about you know people further down the chain we're talking about people at the top and it always takes time to get the cohesion back and to get a strategy and to get everybody to to get round the structure that they're all behind and they all want to work within and people have come people have gone some people were here and now they're not it's just a symptom of everything that's happened over the last 12 months but it is what it is you know I think you very eloquently described exactly why they have to say these things to be honest yeah but I I, I also think probably now is is the time to just sort of let the results do the talking and maybe they come back to these sort of wider um more long-term objectives in the summer and fill fans in then because i think at the moment particularly before the birmingham game when they were still in the relegation zone i think coming out and saying oh we all need to get behind the team you can understand why a lot of fans were like well we have been um and and i don't think mark devlin meant it as like where have you been it wasn't a a delia smith let's be having you it was just a reiteration of something that has already been said and yeah i i can see how it's 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 also just one of those it's one of those things that somebody in mark devlin's position has to say if town were top of the league and absolutely flying and you know, like Liverpool had 20 points clear, he would still say to the fans, you've got to get behind us, yeah. you've got to help us here, because it's just a, it's just a, it's not a bland sort of platitude, but it's, it is just one of those boxes you have to tick. It's what you're supposed to say, isn't yeah. it? So, I think the problem was, I, I think the problem was less what was said, and more the timing of when it was said. You know, if, if you put that interview out today or tomorrow, nobody would have said a dicky bird because you've just got three points and everybody's looking forward to the next game. Yeah. So it's just just a matter of time. Yeah, and we do have, as we've talked about repeatedly, we do have the next game coming up. Preston come to the John Smiths on Saturday um, and we've talked a little bit about our confidence. Do you have a prediction for that game, Dave? Um, I I think Town might get a draw. I, I Preston are a good side and I, I fancy them to score. But I, I think I think Town might get the draw. I don't I will say this. My my main prediction for the game is I don't think it'll be one for the purists. No. I don't think it's gonna be an absolute footballing masterclass, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was a bit of a one one. Yeah, I I would broadly agree with that. I don't think we're gonna get a three nil um 
out of town again. No. But but I doubt it will be you know a, a four unless for Preston, the wheels at Preston really are coming off. You yeah. know, and then who knows? But I yeah, I don't think they will. Lovely, Magic. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Uh, you're at David Hartrick on Twitter, aren't you? I am. Yay! And please feel free to tweet me with Wigan's results as they happen, <laughs> as many people do. <laughs> I'm at Stephen Chicken on Twitter, and yeah, we'll be back with you next time. Goodbye. See you then.